from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me, a very special guest, a second-time visitor on the program, and a huge Toronto Raptors fan, also a fellow sports business classroom alum, Abuka Ofandu. Abuka, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me back on. Nice to be here again. Now, uh, for the people that uh, were able to listen to the episode that uh, you were on last, we, we broke down the Raptors' first-round preview against the Orlando Magic, which, which feels like it was years ago. Uh, but uh, people would also know, based on that, that uh, you happen to be a pretty big soccer fan. And, uh, of course, since then, the, uh, the, the Premier League season has ended with Manchester City edging Liverpool by a single point. What were your thoughts on how that all turned out? Uh, you know, it, I, I was expecting Man City to win in the end. I didn't want necessarily want them to. I also didn't want Liverpool to win because I don't like either team. So at the end of the day, either way, I wasn't going to like the outcome. But I think overall City were the better team. Liverpool throughout the season had a lot of really close and like kind of jammy wins. Like I don't know if you saw their game against Everton where... Origi with the header, yes. Exactly, yeah. They took a shot at the end and nearly bounced over the net, but for some reason, Jordan Pickford decided to play it back in, and then Origi put it in the net. Like, they had a few close wins where it almost seemed like they were kind of, like, destined to get, like, a sort of lucky Premier League win in the end, but at the end, City won, like, I think their last 13 or 14 games in a row to win the league, so... There wasn't really much Liverpool could do about that. I think losing that game they had between them was a big blow for them. But from there on, they never really recovered. Well, and you know, Liverpool was a little bit fortunate as well in that first matchup with Man City where uh, Riyad Mahrez missed a penalty, I believe, in like the 87th minute of that game. Um, but then it also, luck sort of favored Man City in the second matchup where a ball was about four millimeters from crossing Man City's goal. And then, uh, you know, it was a Leroy Sané shot that hit the post and went in and a Sadio Mane shot that hit the post and went out. So, you know, there, there's been luck and, and luck is always, uh, you know, always prevalent in the, in the sporting world. But uh, I think, yeah, you're right that Man City, they had the better goal difference. They were probably the better team. Although I think it's also interesting, you know, the looking at the fact that draws are a single point versus, you know, wins are three. The fact that, you know, you look at the records and Liverpool actually lost three fewer matches than Man City, but those two fewer wins were what made the difference. Yeah, no, it's definitely important to win as many games as possible. Uh, a draw doesn't necessarily have quite that much value compared to a win, so it was definitely important that for City that they won those extra games. And then also going back into the luck thing, the I don't know if you saw the second to last game that Man City played where Vincent Company turned into like <laughs> Pele for a second and hit a shot for way outside the box to score. Yeah, against um, Leicester yeah. that was uh that was unexpected to say the least. <laughs> yeah, which is kinda cool for him I guess. Uh like just second last game for the team after being their captain since I think 2008, since basically this new era of Man City where they were purchased by the Sheikh Mansour. So it's a nice moment for him to go out with, uh, go out from the team. Well, and you know, the, with the NBA Finals, of course, coming up and starting this Thursday, the soccer season is also coming to an end with uh, the Champions League final on Saturday. It's really, you know, as a sports fan and specifically uh, 
you know, the sports that I'm really into, this is just an amazing time of year with the finals, the, the Champions League final, and also the, the French Open, the tennis tournament going on. But uh, what, what are some of your thoughts heading into the uh, Champions League final between Liverpool and Tottenham? Yeah, so first of all, it's the first time they've had two English teams in the final since, uh, I think, 2009, or sorry, 2008, when Manchester United played uh, Chelsea. And it's actually the first time where both European finals are being contested by all English teams with uh, Chelsea versus Arsenal in the Europa League one. Um, I mean, I'm pretty excited for the game. I definitely, as I said before, I definitely don't want Liverpool to win. I definitely think that Liverpool's a stronger team than Tottenham. But uh, Jurgen Klopp doesn't really have a very good record in finals. I believe he's lost his last five finals, uh, including European and like domestic cup games. So I'm actually picking that streak to continue, and I think Tottenham's going to be the surprise Champions League winners, which will be one of the biggest upsets probably since maybe Liverpool winning in 2005 where they didn't have a particularly strong team or possibly the year before that with uh, FC Porto winning under Mourinho. It's an interesting comment about Klopp you know he uh, I would say though that unlike this final he, he has been an underdog in a lot of those previous losses you know I think going back to when he was with Borussia Dortmund losing to Bayern Munich in a, in a really tight final uh, and then of course last year with uh, Mo Salah getting hurt and, of course, playing against a, a juggernaut that was Real Madrid. Uh, so, you know, th- this is a position that maybe Klopp uh, hasn't been in, in in those previous results where he is the, the very much has the, the stronger team and is the favorite. That's true. That might make a big difference this time, actually. And, and you know, I think part of the problem for him in the past has been that he's definitely more of an attacking-minded manager. He doesn't typically take a very like pragmatic, like defensive approach to these finals. And like you said, since he was the underdog, taking that kind of attacking pro- approach against stronger teams typically isn't going to end the way you want. So maybe against Tottenham, it'll work out. I'm still picking Spurs to win, even though yeah, they are definitely the underdog and a much weaker team than Liverpool this year. But. No, I think that, I think Spurs are gonna pull it out. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> I'm uh, I'm gonna go with uh, with Liverpool. I think it would be a, a real shame, honestly, if Liverpool doesn't end with at least one trophy this season after the year that they've had. You know, I I, I watched the uh, the documentary on NBC Sports Network about the uh, the Man United treble team from '99. And, you know, you, you talk about a team in Liverpool that didn't win the Premier League title with 97 points this season. And, you know, watching that documentary, as great as that Man United team was, I think they won the title with around 78. Yeah, that's true. So part of that is also that the way the league's going now is the gap between the top teams and even the, like, second tier of top teams is growing. So the gap between like Liverpool and City and United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham was quite large this year. And then the gap between those teams and the teams that are mid-table or lower has also like greatly expanded. I think before it was a bit harder to just kind of run the table against the lower, the lower teams. But it seemed like this year Man City and Liverpool were just running through everyone at the bottom. I don't know how much of that is down to... Guardiola and Klopp turning those into like two all-time teams or whether that's just down to what I was saying with maybe the league not being as balanced as it was previously but to be fair that Man United team that won the treble kind of did it by the skin of their teeth like like you mentioned they barely won the league and then they also had a very close uh, FA Cup with uh, Ryan Giggs scoring that special goal against Arsenal and then the Champions League final itself, where they scored two goals in like the last 10 minutes, including a goal from the current manager to win it. So, yeah, their their success was definitely a little bit more uh, down to the wire, if you want to put it that way. Not necessarily as dominating in the league or the Champions League as Man City were or even Liverpool were in the Premier League this year. 
Well, yeah, that documentary was called The Impossible Dream for just that reason you talked about, the winning three, all three of those titles over the course of ten days, which was, was pretty incredible. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that'll be really fascinating. I'm really looking forward to that matchup. But let's get on to the topic uh, that I think most people listening are excited to hear about, which is the, uh, the NBA Finals. Again, they start Game 1 on Thursday in Toronto. A lot of people might not realize that the Raptors do have home court. They did win, I believe it was, one extra game than the Warriors during the regular season. Uh, but, uh, Abuka, you're going to act throughout this preview like we did in that first-round preview when we uh, we talked about Orlando versus Toronto. You're going to act as Nick Nurse and the Raptors. I'm going to act as uh, Steve Kerr and the Warriors. And my first question to you is... Uh, how do you feel about uh, the performance of the Raptors winning the Eastern Conference? So my feelings are a little bit mixed, but overall I feel like the performance of the team actually improved as the playoffs went along, which I think might, may have largely been down to the amount of changes that happened throughout the season, particularly the pickup of Marcus at the All-Star break. I think the team is kind of peaking now, but one thing I will say um, well, let's start off with the negative, is I'm a little bit unsure about the offense and how that's going to perform in the finals, uh, particularly for two reasons. One is that, especially on the road, there seems to be quite a bit of over-reliance on Kawhi Leonard, largely because our shooters end up going cold in those games. Other than uh, Van Fleet in Game 6 against or sorry, not game six, in game five against Milwaukee. Uh, we've had a lot of trouble with our guys making shots on the road, and that's something they're definitely going to need to do against Golden State, a team that's very potent offensively and could run away with a game if you're not keeping up with them on that end. But overall, I feel like, uh, so moving to the positive, I think defensively the Raptors have been insane in the playoffs. Like, I, I think it's an all-time level defensive performance especially given the quality of the last two opponents they played in the Bucks and Sixers. And while the Warriors do present, present a different challenge with Steph Curry, I think uh, just the way that the Raptors have been able to slow down the primary drivers of the two offenses that they just played. So with Giannis, uh, the Raptors did a really good job of limiting him. And of course, Ben Simmons was largely irrelevant in the Sixers series. Uh, and Bead as well, although that, I'm not sure how much that was down to his uh, sickness, in quotations, I'm not sure if he's sick or not, <laughs> or uh, Marcus Gasol just doing an excellent job on him defensively, or both, but I, I really like the way they've played defense so far, that's one thing that I have like absolutely no complaints about, it's more the offense that has me a little bit worried, and you see that reflected a bit in the stats too, like the Raptors are ranked number two in defense in the playoffs, which in my mind is basically number one, considering the Bucks, who are number one, played a weaker competition. Um, and in offense, they're ranked around the middle of all the 16 teams that played. So they haven't been tremendous on that end. So we'll see how that goes in the finals. Yeah, the Raptors' defense is, you know, is legit. They are tremendous all over the court. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, they don't really have any weak links. Even when they go to the bench, you know, the the likes of Kyle Lowry is he's such a good defender, getting in position and taking charges, but also moving around screens and making those hustle plays. Danny Green, despite his shooting struggles, which we'll probably get into at some point. Uh, you know, he still played tremendous defense. He's an all-defensive level player. Uh, and then, you know, you've got the forwards in, in Siakam and Leonard who are so long and just are so tough to score against. And, you know, Gasol has uh, has picked up his defense and has gotten back to what I consider similar levels to when he was a defensive player of the year. He's always in the right position. He's got good hands and he protects the rim. And then, as I mentioned, off the bench, you know, Norman Powell is a solid, stout defender. Van Fleet, despite his lack of size, moves his feet really well. And, and again, like Lowry, is a really good positional defender. And Ibaka is, you know, not nearly as good as he was in his OKC days, but he's still a threat blocking shots and uh, being a rim presence. So, yeah, this Raptors defense is absolutely sensational. And I would say, you know, going back to this whole five-year run 
that the Warriors have, have gone on in getting to five straight finals. You know, maybe the OKC team in 2016, but there's not really many teams that come to mind that are as good defensively that they're going to have to have faced over that time period than this Raptors defense. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with you on that. I think the Raptors' defense is going to be one of the bigger challenges they've faced on that end, particularly because none of those Cav teams were very strong defensively. You mentioned OKC, and that was a better defensive team, who they nearly got eliminated from the playoffs by. And I, I suppose you could also bring up the Rockets from last year as well, who played quite good defense against them, and unfortunately managed to miss 20-something, 3-0, and lose that series, but... Uh, it's going to be a new challenge for the Warriors, I think, on the defensive end. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the Rockets team because they certainly did do a great job with their switching scheme of really mucking things up. And, and certainly that Rockets team has some good had some good defenders in Chris Paul and, and Ariza and P.J. Tucker and Capella. But, you know, that team still had some weak links, you know, despite the fact that Harden was giving some, some more effort. Uh, he was somebody that uh, that the Warriors could attack a little bit. And uh, whereas, again, this Raptors team just has nowhere in my mind that you can really look to to attack. Milwaukee, I think, early on in the series tried to attack Lowry, but but that wasn't that effective. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's going to be really fascinating. On my side of things, as far as the, the Warriors and how I feel getting through the Western Conference, obviously, you know, I, I feel good because of how my players performed. You know, Kevin Durant prior to his injury, was was playing lights out, had a 50 and 45 point games back to back in the Clippers series, was really lighting it up from the field. And then when Durant went down, you know, Steph started showing his MVP form. And, you know, Draymond Green looks to be in shape and playing the best basketball maybe of his career this postseason. He has been absolutely incredible. So, and, you know, Iguodala has turned back the clock and has had some really good moments. He had that key steal uh, against Damian Lillard at the end of, uh, I believe it was game two of that series against Portland. And uh, so so I'm feeling good in terms of the form of my guys. I've liked the production from from uh, my couple of young centers and Kevon Looney and Jordan Bell. But the thing I'm, I'm not too happy about getting through the Western Conference is, of course, the injuries. You know, Durant is definitely out game one, and I would suspect he'll be out longer than that. Uh, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in, in, as far as how that'll affect our predictions of this series. But then also, you know, Iguodala went down at the end of that Blazers series with some calf issue. He was uh, heard talking to reporters basically saying that it's from overwork and that, uh, you know, he's old at this point. Uh, you don't usually hear guys that just straight up admit that they're, uh, they're, they're older. But yeah, he, uh, he said it was just from, you know, playing a lot of minutes. So, you know, that's a little bit of a question mark too. And, you know, with Durant's continued absence... Iguodala is going to continue to have to play a big role, and, and who knows if he can stay, stay in there throughout this series. Now, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the next questions I, I wanted to talk about was as far as the, the regular season matchups between these two teams. Of course, they played twice. Uh, one was without, uh, without Steph Curry, and the other one was without Kawhi Leonard. Toronto ended up winning both. Uh, is there anything uh, you as the Nick Nurse and the Raptors can take away from, from those regular season results? To be honest, I don't think a lot of what we saw in the regular season is necessarily going to apply to this series, simply because the rosters are so different. Like you mentioned, in the first game, there was no Curry or Draymond. In the second game, there was no Kawhi Leonard. And in neither game was there Marcus Gasol involved. The Raptors were still playing with Jonas Valanciunas back then, so... It's really hard to draw anything from that, particularly because in the first game, I mean, the Raptors won, but they also shot ridiculously well from the field. I think about 65% true shooting percentage in that game. They're basically making everything. So there's not a lot you can glean from that. I don't think the Raptors are going to be shooting that crazy against the Warriors in the series, maybe in one game, but certainly not throughout the entire series. Well, in that and game, that game you referenced was the game where I think Kevin Durant went for, I believe, fifty-one, and yeah. Kawhi went for high thirties. So both of them were were playing extremely well, going back and forth. Yeah, and then in the second game, Clay and Steph were ice cold, just missing a lot of uncontested shots as well. So. It's really hard to say that any of that is going to carry forward, and because of the difference in the rosters, it's 
hard to really use that as like a map for how this series is going to go. And certainly, I will say though, for the Raptors from a psychological perspective, especially as a team that's been criticized, although not so much now with Kawhi, but a team that's been criticized for kind of losing confidence or not rising to the occasion in the playoffs, I think the fact that they did beat them twice will be good for them from a mental standpoint in terms of at least understanding that they can compete with the Warriors and beat them. And the upset that they just had, or if you want to call it an upset, that they just had over the Bucks helps with that as well, I think. I think they go into the series like relatively confident in their abilities, so that's good. Well, yeah, and one of the things I noticed with Toronto was their ability to, you know, to as you mentioned, get better as the playoffs wore on and also get better within the series as the series went along, uh, you know, winning three of the last four against Philadelphia after going down 2-1 and then, of course, winning the four straight against the Bucks after getting down 2-0. But uh, as far as uh, Steve Kerr and the Warriors, there's, there's not, again, not much to take away. You already mentioned the, the guys that were absent and, and uh, you know, some of those outliers like the, the Splash Brothers being really cold in one game you know, when you've got just a two-game sample with players missing in both games, there's not a lot to draw on. One thing I will say, though, again, going back to that first game where Kawhi went for, I believe it was 37, uh, you know, Kawhi, going back to that 2016 series with San Antonio where he uh, he played for about the first two and a half quarters and then, you know, fell on, uh, or excuse me, Zaza Pachulia stepped underneath his, uh, his foot and uh, caused him to sprain his ankle. Uh, Kawhi has had a history of showing that that he can score against the Warriors, even against their their best defenders. Yeah, it was interesting because in that game, uh, Kawhi and Durant actually spent a large portion of the game guarding each other. So again, I'm not sure how that's going to play out in this series because, to be honest, I'm not expecting Durant to play at all. I'm not sure what your evaluation is on that, but I it seems like he's probably not going to play. Um, so likely it'll be Andre Iguodala guarding Kawhi. So we'll see how that plays out. But like you said, he's shown an ability to be able to score against the Warriors. And in this playoffs, he's shown an ability to basically be able to score against everyone. Neither the Bucks or Sixers really had any success slowing him down. Um, and of course, neither did the Magic either. So uh, I think he won't have too much of a problem getting his offense going in the series. That's not one of the things that I'm worried about from the Raptors' perspective. Now, uh, what uh, what sort of opponent's strengths, what uh, what are some of the Warriors' strengths that concern you as, uh, as the Raptors heading into this finals matchup? So this is an interesting one because, like I said, I'm not expecting Durant to play, and that actually introduces a strength of the Warriors that kind of elevates itself when Durant's not playing, which is their ball movement. Uh, The Raptors, like I said, have been really good defensively in the playoffs this year, but I think the offenses they've gone up against in the Bucks and the Sixers are a little bit more straightforward to guard in the sense that you know most of the attack is coming from, or at least at the point of attack is coming from Giannis or Ben Simmons versus the Warriors where, yes, Steph is going to be initiating a lot of the attacks, but then those second and third moves after he gives up the ball or makes a drive to the basket or tries to score three, it's very difficult to defend the Warriors when they're moving the ball the way they have been since Kevin Durant went out, kind of going back to their uh, 73-win team kind of offense. So it's going to be a challenge for the Raptors to make those rotations quickly enough and also see whether Marcus Gasol, who's been excellent defensively in the playoffs, back to his defensive player of the year type form, like you said, but see whether he can actually stay on the floor against this team with their rotations. Hopefully that shouldn't be too much of an issue because of the Warriors uh, having lost some of their depth and being forced to kind of play a guy like Kevon Looney uh, significant minutes. So hopefully Gasol can stay on the floor. But definitely the ball movement combined with the Warriors' ability to shoot the ball, that's something that I'm definitely concerned about. Yeah, it'll be going back to your comment about Durant. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to think. You know, I'm more in the line of thinking that he'll be back like for game three or four of this series. 
you know, the, the talk was that he had a sprained calf, and the initial diagnosis was that it was minor. And a grade 1 calf sprain is typically a 7 to 10 day recovery, so if it was a grade 1, he would have returned already. Uh, but uh, the, the grade 2 calf strain is still only about a month recovery, which I believe by the time game 3 or 4 would come around, it will be about a month since the injury. So I'm expecting Durant to come back at some point, but but certainly uh, there there is the possibility that it's just not feeling good and and uh, they uh, they leave him out the, out of the lineup. But yeah, it, it does change how the Warriors play, and that's certainly something uh, that's that's going to be a fascinating thing to look at. And and going back to the whole idea that I mentioned that the Raptors have gotten better as the series have gone along, and you know their I think their collective athleticism and length and defense just kind of wears on people but if Durant does return at some point uh, you know some of that momentum might just go away because the style of play might just become drastically different so do you feel like uh when well so let's say Durant were to come back in a game three and it's 2-1 either way how much do you think that helps or hurts the Warriors I think it helps them uh, to be honest, I, I think, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of talk that the Warriors are better without Durant. I think that's foolish. You know, Durant uh, is a top five player in the NBA, and especially against a defense this good, uh, I think the fact, you know, he the reason the Warriors brought him in is because sometimes against the best defenses, you know, against those teams in 2016 that the Warriors faced and ended up eventually losing in the finals to the Cavs, you know, they were able to switch and have a lot of good length and, and athletic players, and that kind of just bogged down the Warriors' offense. And I think Durant is the antidote to that. He's a guy that you could just throw the ball to, and he can get you a bucket. So I think if Durant returns, I think that will definitely help Golden State. But uh, it also brings in real interesting thoughts in terms of, you know, if he does return... You know, I think the Warrior, or excuse me, the Raptors are the team that's got to be up two two zero or two one in that scenario. Because if they're down and Durant returns, I think it's all over. Yeah, the momentum of him coming back and probably going ballistic in the first game could be a big problem for the Raptors for sure. Definitely with the home court, that you want to at least have an advantage in the series before Kevin Durant comes back and changes things up. I definitely agree with you on that. And again, I think Toronto should have a bit of the edge in terms of the competition that they just got done uh, getting past in the Milwaukee Bucks. I think that level of play uh, was higher than the the level in the Western Conference Finals. So there's a chance that that also plays into Toronto's advantage. Uh, But uh, as far as uh, Steve Kerr and the Warriors, my thoughts in terms of, you know, what strengths of the Raptors concern me the most we talked about it. You mentioned it right away. The the Raptors' defense, their ability to switch, uh, and is really concerning to me. You know the size of Siakam, Leonard, and Green at the two through four. The fact that Kyle Lowry at point guard can switch, and he's so strong that he can't get you know beat up inside too bad. Uh, and you know the fact that their their bench also can switch with the likes of uh, Powell and. And Ibaka, and you know the the other big question mark also is OG Ananobi, as uh, you know what is his status? Of course, he had the emergency appendectomy right before the playoffs. He's missed the entire postseason, uh, but he was seen on the court near the end of the conference finals uh, doing some light work. Yeah, I think the report on that is the Raptors are like quietly expecting him to come back during this series. So I think he will play in the series, which. I don't think the impact he'll have will be tremendous if Durant's not back, but if Durant does come back, I think having another 6'9", long athletic defender to be able to throw at him would make a difference there for sure. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be a really interesting storyline if, you know, Ananobi and Durant both come back in the same game and somehow the Raptors, uh, you know, build their momentum with those two returning. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the... Um you know, again, going back to the Warriors and their postseason history, when the series have been, you know, more high scoring, more, you know, fast paced up and down, I think the Warriors typically are, are going to have more shooting. They're typically going to have more playmaking. 
they're they're going to win those battles. But the the series that they they struggle in, the series that they've lost a couple of games in or lost the the series as a whole, are the series that were all very similar to what the uh, the Bucks Raptors series in the conference finals just looked like. Yeah, and I think that's the template from the Raptors. Uh, if these are 120 to 115 games in every series, the Raptors are losing in four or five games. Like, they definitely want this to look more like a series out of the 90s than one out of this current era, for sure. So, yeah, they're, they're going to want to turn this into more of a defensive battle than let's see who can make more shots, because let's be real, the best shot makers in on either team are on the Warriors, right? Curry and Clay are the best shooters on either team. I mean, Kawhi can score with them, but if it turns into who can make more threes, I don't like the Raptors' chances in that series. Right. It'll be uh, it'll be fascinating to see sort of the tempo, and, and the Raptors, I think, were able to effectively turn that Milwaukee series around. The first game, if you could remember, was real back and forth. It was, inc- especially the first half of game one, was, was incredibly fast-paced. So much transition play, and I think that helped Milwaukee. Uh, but as soon as uh, those the series became a little bit slower and more of a half-court battle, Toronto had the edge. Uh, but uh, looking more towards uh, some of the specific matchups, uh, who are some of the guys that concern you? I think this is probably an obvious question when you're when you're <laughs> when you're uh, scouting the Golden State Warriors. But who are some of the guys that uh, send fear down your spine? Obviously, it's number 30. Steph Curry, for sure, is going to be a concern. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure who is necessarily the best defender to go with on him. I think probably the best option would be to go with Danny Green. But then that causes another problem. So really, the, the matchup issue here is sort of the Curry and Clay Thompson dynamic. Because if you go with Danny Green on Curry then you have the problem of Kyle Lowry being on Klay Thompson, which is an issue for two reasons. First of all, Lowry is a good defender, but the problem here is that Klay isn't going to be trying to beat him with physicality, which is where Lowry tends to shine. He's going to be shooting the ball over him and also running him all over the floor, which is just going to make him tired on the offensive end. So definitely I'm worried about uh, the matchup against Curry and Klay Thompson. And then also, I don't know how much the Warriors will be able to actually use this lineup, depending on Durant's health or not, but Draymond Green at the 5 could cause some issues for us, because I don't know how well Gasol or Ibaka will do against him in that position, particularly in those screen and rolls where they like to give the ball to Draymond, and then he makes that second pass or drive to the basket after receiving as the roller. Uh I think that could really cause a problem for us. And playing Siakam at the five in that position could work in terms of guarding Draymond, but then it leaves us really vulnerable on the glass, which already kind of is an issue for us in a lot of games. So, uh, yeah, I would say those are definitely the three concerns. Kind of obvious, considering they're the three best currently active players, but those are the three big matchup issues for the Raptors to deal with. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So, so you would prefer to to start with uh, with uh, Danny Green on Curry and Lowry on Thompson. That would be your ideal way of, of starting out. Yeah, I think that's what I'd go with. Only because I mean, another option could be to go with Lowry on Iguodala and go with Kawhi on Thompson. But I'm not sure I want Kawhi expending that kind of energy chasing Clay Thompson all over the floor. So. Yeah, I think the best option would be to go with Green on Curry just to be able to bother him with that extra four or five inches of length and kind of try to make it difficult for him to make shots rather than putting Lowry on him who's not really going to be able to bother his shot too much uh, defensively. Interesting, yeah. I um, You you mentioned the, the downside to that, though, being that Clay Thompson could get into the post and and in a series where you know the Warriors might not actually have a lot of options with this Toronto defense, that might be something that they could exploit. Uh, and and as you said, Thompson isn't a, a physical guy. He's more of just a, if he can if he's taller than you, he can just turn around and shoot over the top, uh, which is something he could do against Lowry. Uh, I would probably stick with Lowry 
and, and keep the matchups as they are to start and, and see how it goes. I also think Lowry's a little bit better slithering around screens than Danny Green. Now, of course, Green is really good at at uh, at contesting from behind, but I think Lowry has the the ability to maybe stay in front a little bit better. Uh, but but yeah, I, I could definitely see you know it going either way, and and there, there are there are positives and negatives to both of those options. The uh, the comment about uh, Draymond Green going. Uh, going to the five and, and the Warriors going with the with the death lineup if, if in fact, Durant comes back uh, is an interesting one, and I think that's another one that, that kind of makes the OG Ananobi uh, question interesting as well because, you know, the, the reason I think the Raptors haven't gone to as much of that uh, Siakam at the five lineup is because without Ananobi, they don't have enough minutes at the four spot then. Yeah, and even with Ananobi, part of the issue there, too, is Ananobi's not a particularly good rebounder. So the issue of not being able to sort of secure the defensive glass would be a problem still, even with OG. But, of course, like you said, it would give us a better option at the four spot with Siakam playing the five or OG playing the five, really, whoever is the five in that situation. Neither of them are particularly built for that position, but we'll see how that goes if it ends up being the matchup. Well, and you know, with the Warriors, you know, if if you are in fact correct and Durant does not play, I, I just don't imagine they're going to go with Green at the five enough because, again, they don't have enough players that can, can play the four then. And, you know, with without Durant, I think probably their sixth and seventh best guys are their centers. So, I expect if Durant doesn't play, we won't see a lot of those small ball lineups. It'll be relatively big, which again I think plays into into Toronto's hands as well in terms of if, in trying to make it a a grinded out sort of dogfight. But uh, the the matchup that concerns me as Steve Kerr and the Warriors in this series, of course, is is Kawhi Leonard. Uh, he is, uh, in my opinion, he's been the best player in the NBA these playoffs. Uh, you know, the, the fact that he's been able to score around 30 points per game pretty efficiently while also playing such incredible defense. His defense has stepped up in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, limiting Giannis Antetokounmpo the way he did was just sensational. And, you know, the, the amount of energy he's expending is uh, is downright crazy. But, uh, you know, the fact that the Warriors have had trouble defending him in the past, uh, that that certainly is a concern. And, you know, going back to that Milwaukee series, one thing as the Warriors that we just cannot allow is those games where Kawhi scores 30-plus and also has nine assists. I think that game five that you referenced uh, against the Bucks, where Van Fleet went crazy, I think most of those uh, threes came off of Kawhi passes. And, you know, when when a superstar is not only scoring 30-plus but also put, like b- basically assisting on 30-plus points, they're just incredibly tough to stop. Yeah, all nine assists in that game were to three-point shots. So his overall point contribution was upwards of 60 points. So, yeah, definitely you don't want that happening. It was a career high in assists for him in the regular season or the playoffs. But, yeah, if, if I were to see a box score with Kawhi having 30 and anywhere near 10 assists, I'd be pretty sure we won that game. So Right. Yeah, and so for Golden State, my my main strategy with him is either, you know, just do one or the other. Do what, you know, Greg Popovich and the Spurs did with Steve Nash back in the day and just let him score 50 if he wants, uh, or, you know, do do the opposite and and take him away completely and make everyone else beat me. But the what Milwaukee did towards the end of that series, despite the fact that they still played decent defensively, I think is just a losing strategy when you're when you're not taking really anything away. Uh, but uh, moving on now to uh, uh, to to the pick and roll coverage, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as uh, as Nick Nurse and the Raptors. How are you going to handle uh, what is a a potent pick and roll attack for Golden State? So yeah, this is a difficult one because the Warriors pick and roll is more than just a pick and roll because after they have that initial screen action. There's a ton of things that could happen afterwards, whether that's Curry shooting, Curry passing, Curry giving it up to Draymond, and Draymond finding the next open player, or giving up to Draymond finding the next open player, and then they continue moving the ball until your defense is all over the place, and then they hit an open three. But I think how I would approach the pick and 
more coverage is trying to limit Steph Curry as much as possible. I think he's the main danger man in the series, and the best way to do it would be hedge as hard as possible with uh, both defenders and force him to give up the basketball. And if we lose the series because Draymond Green averaged 20, 10, and 10 for uh, six or five or six or seven games, then so be it. I think that the best way to go is to just try and make it so that Steph Curry isn't playing like a top three all-time offensive player in the series. Yeah, that is uh, that is an interesting that is an interesting dilemma, and that's the that's the pickle that the Warriors put you in. You know, do you do you switch and potentially allow Curry to to go off in isolation? Do you do you press up and and allow Green to run those four on threes? I think Toronto again with their defensive personnel does have the tools to potentially successfully handle both of those strategies. Uh, I mentioned uh, in my episode last week with Frankie Knifinger talking about this a little bit. The one of the ways I think you should try and defend those four on threes is stick to the shooters, and then you know as the center defending the you know Green and the lob man, just stay at the rim, take away the lob, and then when Green gets all the way to the bucket, you know just use verticality and try to make him finish over contact. I think that's a, that's a pretty effective strategy. Force him to either take the mid-range, the floater, or uh, you know finish over the top. But yeah, giving up those wide-open corner threes or those lobs are just a, a death sentence. Yeah, I think definitely that approach is the one that's the most likely to be successful. Basically making Draymond Green have to kind of take over offensively is a better bet than leaving Steph in isolations, even with someone like Siakam. I mean, Siakam's a good defender, but with Steph's speed and the amount of moves he has off the dribble and his ability to shoot, I think he's going to have a field day like putting threes in over him. So I, I, I would take my chances with Draymond Green being the best player in the series and see how that goes. Well, does your thoughts on that change, though, in terms of where they're at in the shot clock? Like, uh, you know, if if they're down to under 10, would you consider switching at that point, or would you like to keep it uniform for most of the possession? Oh, so that's, yeah, that's a good point, too. So, I mean, if it's closer to the end of the shot clock, I think in that case a switch would probably make more sense, as Curry wouldn't really have as much time to isolate against a larger defender. So they'd probably be able to stick in front of him for long enough to at least make it not an open shot. So, yeah... And that's kind of that's kind of the thing, right? Like you sort of have your base pick and roll coverage against them, but the Warriors do so many different things, whether it's at different times in the shot clock or if there's different screeners or just the actions they do after running the pick and roll that you can't really stick to one strategy for the entire series. Uh, but I guess my goal overall would be just to try and limit Steph Curry as much as possible. And this is a lot of that is because Durant's not playing. I think when Durant gets involved, it gets even more complicated trying to defend that pick and roll, especially if he's buying in more to their ball movement strategy and not going with too many isolations. I think it just gets really tough to defend them. Yeah, it'll uh, again though. I think Toronto has the has the tools to to defend them better than maybe anyone we've ever seen. But uh, that that will certainly be a fascinating battle as far as uh, the Warriors and uh, the and how how to defend the the Raptors pick and roll. I think you know with the likes of Clay Thompson and Andre Iguodala and Draymond Green, and then of course if Durant comes back, you know two through four is very switchable. All those guys can defend multiple positions. I'm not you know I think Kawhi will score effectively against anyone. I don't really feel like. Clay Thompson is any is significantly worse at defending him than than a guy like Draymond Green, uh, so I'm I'm willing to switch on most of those actions. Uh, the 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 one that I'm a little bit concerned about is of course if you know the Raptors try to play into the the Cavs playbook that they showed with LeBron, where they try to get Steph Curry onto LeBron, or in this case, if the Raptors try to get Steph onto Kawhi. 
I think the Warriors have to do everything to try and avoid those sorts of situations. And, and Steph has been really good. I think him and, and J.J. Redick are a couple of great examples of guys that, that play hard and execute a strategy of the you know really hard hedge when those screens happen and then get back to their guy to avoid, avoid those low-resistant switches and, and get the uh, opponents into the late in the shot clock. I think the Warriors have done a great job of that against Houston specifically as well. Um, so yeah, I'm switching most of the time, but, uh, any pick involving Curry, I'm going to try to just play that conventionally. And most of the time, if that's going to be a one five pick and roll, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to live with a Marc Gasol or Serge Ibaka jumper. Now, uh, let's, let's move into now the, uh, the X factors in this series. Who do you think, uh, might be a, a guy that, that maybe is, under the radar to start, not a guy that uh, maybe a lot of people are talking about that could have a, a, a big impact. So I guess for the Raptors and Warriors, I kind of have one for each team, but I'll go with the Raptors first. And you said someone that people aren't really talking about. I mean, people are talking about this guy, but Danny Green, I think he's going to be a big, really important in this series. Uh, he hasn't shot well for the rest of the playoffs, but his... His ability to make shots and also play defense is just going to be very important for the Raptors, especially because earlier, like I said, I think the best approach for us is likely going to be putting Danny Green on Steph Curry. So how good of a job can he do contesting his shots, trying to make life difficult for him? Uh, If he can do as good a job defensively as you can do on Steph Curry, I think he can have a really big impact in the series. And... Plus, if he's knocking down shots, that only makes him that much more valuable. That was part of the problem for him last series and actually resulted in Norman Powell playing more than him towards the end was he just wasn't knocking down shots. So you kind of hope that the law of averages kicks in here and the guy who shot 46% from three in the regular season can figure out how to start knocking them down again. And I believe he also uh, held the record for most threes made in the finals until Curry broke it these last few seasons so you gotta hope that Danny Green can have a big impact on both ends yeah was there anything you noticed about his shot in the in the in these playoffs so far that has has led him to be so cold I mean from from what I've noticed you know he hasn't been missing right or left much which would would be uh to me an indicator that that something mechanically is wrong it seems to be he's just a little bit shorter a little bit long on a lot of these attempts yeah I haven't seen anything mechanically that looks weird or off i think he's just not making shots there's not really any other way to describe it and i don't think it's a jitters thing he's a guy who's won a championship before he's been to, on deep playoff runs before so honestly like i said i think law of averages i think at some point he should start making shots again hopefully that happens in the finals uh but we'll see yeah and and I think it's, you know, I almost would say it's mandatory that it, that it happens for the, for the Raptors to have success in this series. I think he is, again, one of the only guys on this team that the teams really fear from behind the line. So he's really got to knock him down, especially against a team as elite as Golden State, even without the likes of Kevin Durant. I've actually got a couple of guys I thought I would mention, three guys actually. On the Warriors side of things, I think Andre Iguodala is a huge X factor in this series. Not only his defense, you know, could be a big factor, but the fact that this postseason he shot the ball reasonably well from three compared to his career and and previous postseason numbers. So, you know, the the Raptors are going to, uh, you know, try to take some certain things away, and I doubt they're going to take away the Iguodala three. So if he continues to knock down those shots, that's going to be a big boost to Golden State's chances. And then a couple of guys on Toronto. I mentioned OG Ananobi and his impact. Uh, you know, again, adding another big athletic body to to switch and and uh, cause the Warriors' offense some difficulty. And then Pascal Siakam. Uh, you know, the, not only his defense, but I think the uh, the interesting thing with Pascal uh, is you know he's gone up against such difficult defenders in Embiid and Giannis in the last couple of rounds that despite the fact that, you know, Draymond Green is a former Defensive Player of the Year and Iguodala is a terrific defender and when Durant is engaged, he's really good, uh, I think Pascal might actually enjoy himself a little bit more in this series, mainly just due to the fact that, you know, I think he has a lot of success when he can shoot over the top 
And with Draymond Green being about 6'5", and Iguodala about 6'6", or 6'7", he's going to have the opportunity to, to shoot over the top in, in something that he wasn't able to do against the likes of Embiid or Giannis. Yeah, and actually, so I had Iguodala as one of my X-Factors as well, but for a slightly different reason. You mentioned his ability to uh, hit threes, uh, causing the Raptors problem, because that's not going to be one of the things they're going to be able to take away. But uh, also, I think on the defensive end, uh, like we talked about before, nobody's really been able to slow down Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see if Iguodala can do a better job than Middleton, Butler, Simmons etc. The guys who've played against Kawhi before. I mean, if he can make it at least somewhat difficult for him, and the Raptors have a few of those games where the supporting cast just doesn't really contribute a lot offensively, that'll make it a lot easier for the Warriors to get by them in the series. And uh, my other X-factor was not really a player, but sort of both teams' benches. Uh, On paper, the Raptors have a much stronger than the Warriors do, but it's going to be down to them to actually show up and make shots. If they do, that's going to be huge because I think they need to really win those minutes when Curry's not on the floor, especially without Durant. They don't really have a primary offensive driver, so you're going to get 10 minutes a game where there's not really a dominant offensive force on the floor, and I think the Raptors really need to try to exploit those minutes. That's that's where they can really try to make up a lot of the... uh, uh, point differential in the, in the series. Yeah, going back to your comments about uh, Andre Guadala, I think it's uh, one of the things that I think is in Kawhi's favor is, you know, Iggy is really good with his hands and getting strips, but, you know, Kawhi is a guy that, you know, has such strong hands and is, and is so de- decisive in his moves that you rarely see him stripped of the basketball. Uh, so, so I, I honestly, uh, I, I very much favor Kawhi to be able to score effectively against Iggy. But uh, you're certainly right that if uh, if Iguodala can slow him down some, that'll be big. Uh, and yeah, your your comment about the bench is uh, is a good one. I uh, I thought it was interesting that because of how poorly the likes of of uh, Van Fleet and Ibaka played, at, especially at the beginning of that Philly series. Uh, the it, it became a story that the Raptors had a, a really crappy bench, but that really hasn't been the case. They've been a solid bench all year long, and uh, you know they they have been without Ananobi, which has certainly hurt the bench some. Uh, but you know I think uh, against Milwaukee, especially later in that series, and with Van Fleet going off and Ibaka having some big moments, I think people are are finally starting to come to grips with uh, you know that that Philly series was a bit of an outlier. Yeah, I think with everyone healthy and them playing to the best of their abilities, the Raptors should be 90. With uh, Ibaka, Van Vliet, Powell, and Ananobi coming off the bench, those are all guys who can play on the offensive and defensive end in this series. So if everyone comes to play, the Raptors should have a big advantage coming off the bench, in my opinion. So, well, And, and one thing I thought that uh, Steve Kerr did a really good job of with his bench in the Portland series was, you know, Putting in guys for specific lineup formations, you know the uh, he he would play Quinn Cook when Steph Curry came off the floor uh, to to add a, a second or third shooter out there on the floor. But then when Steph was on, Quinn Cook would never play. He'd he'd bring on Jarebko as the big that could shoot. So he was able to to mix and match his uh, his bench players and uh, and and make sure that they had just enough shooting out there. Because again, without Durant. Uh, this team does lack shooters, especially coming off that bench. Yeah, I mean, as good of a three-point shooting team as it is, you're right, when Durant's not there, there's really only two guys who are reliable three-point shooters, although they are the most reliable three-point shooters ever in the NBA. So, um, yeah, I think the benches are definitely going to be important. Now uh, let's let's talk about some some adjustments here. So uh, if uh, any of you listening have heard any of my previous uh, playoff previews, I like to talk about uh, the series adjustments. If a team gets down 0-2, you know, becomes kind of desperation time, and the coach throws out uh, anything he's got left in the bag. Uh, so 
as Nick Nurse and the Raptors, Ibuka, if uh, if Toronto loses the first two at home, which would uh, would not be good, uh, what are uh, what are some of the adjustments you might make to try and uh, swing momentum? Uh, well, cancel the tickets back to Toronto for Game Five. <laughs> but in terms of on the court defensive adjustments um, or offensive adjustments. Uh, I think one of the, what, basically what we did in the last series might be something that we go to in this one as well, which is putting Kawhi Leonard on their best player. Try Kawhi Leonard on Steph Curry and see if he can make it difficult for him. Now, I don't think that Kawhi's strengths as a defender necessarily lend themselves well towards shutting down Curry, but if we're down 0-2 at that point, it's time to start trying things that are different and trying to recover the series, because at that point you need to get the split, right? Otherwise the series is over. So uh, that's one thing I would try. And then another thing I would try that you actually brought up briefly earlier was, now this is an offensive adjustment, which would be actually to start having Kyle Lowry, who I'm assuming would be guarded by Steph for most of the series, or if not Lowry, whoever Steph's guarding, set screens on Kawhi Leonard's men and try to get Steph involved in screen and rolls with Kawhi and get him switched onto Leonard, and see if Kawhi can just totally take advantage of him in that in that matchup. Yeah, those are a couple of uh, of really interesting points, and and yeah, the uh, that series against Milwaukee did really shift when when Kawhi took away Giannis. So I guess I shouldn't say took away, but he uh, he limited him quite significantly. Uh, so so yeah, that uh, that certainly is an interesting thing that they could try. Uh, you know, again, I, I appreciate you throwing out some some out of the box ideas. I like it. So, as far as uh, Steve Kerr and the Warriors, if we get down 0-2, uh, you know, losing two uh, ga- consecutive games in Toronto, we'd be heading back home. My first adjustment would be pray and hope Kevin Durant returns. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, my my uh, my actual strategic thoughts though would be. You know, in the event that uh, the Raptors are doing a good job of of mucking up some of the off ball action, you know, but with the likes of, of Curry and Thompson, and those guys aren't able to get free, uh, I'm just going to go back to the basics and and run some more pick and roll uh, with Curry and uh, run it with the likes of uh, Toronto's center. Get those guys involved and and force them to make really tough decisions and go back to the well over and over again. I think that's something that uh, when when things have gotten tough for Golden State, Kerr has been a little bit more willing to go away from the beautiful game. Uh, but then uh, also, uh, I, I think uh, a defensive adjustment would be, you know, to to and and maybe maybe Kerr will start with this, but I think it'll be interesting to see how Golden State matches up with Toronto uh, and whether or not uh, Clay Thompson will be matched up on Kyle Lowry to show Lowry a little bit more size. But uh, if we've started the series with Curry on Lowry, uh, and and Lowry is having a, a pretty effective run, uh, maybe one of the defensive adjustments would be to uh, to put Thompson onto uh, onto the Raptors' floor leader. See, that's interesting because then that might present uh, a similar problem to what we talked about earlier with uh, putting Danny Green on Steph Curry, and that Curry might now be stuck on Danny Green and chasing him around the floor, which isn't going to be great for his his offense. It's, it's interesting because in this series, it's there's a lot of negatives to kind of switching the traditional matchup up. There's issues that could arise for you in other areas of the floor for both teams. So, and yes, yeah, specifically at the at the point guard and center positions, I think both teams are really well suited two through four to switch and switch effectively. But yeah, it'll be fascinating to see the likes of uh, you know Lowry, who I think is a, a really good defender, but then also Curry, who I think is uh, criminally underrated as a uh, as a defensive player. But uh, Abuka, let's move on to the prediction now. We've we've broken down this series in great detail. I'd like to hear your thoughts on who you think's going to win and in how many games. Okay, so I have the Raptors winning the series in seven. Okay, yeah. all right. So- it's a bold prediction, but you know what? They got to the finals, and I'm picking them to actually get it done and win. And what I'm expecting is for this series to actually be quite similar in terms of the results to the Warriors series against the Rockets last year. So what I'm expecting to happen is that 
the Raptors will lose one of the first two games, probably the first one, so that we can all have our panic session after that game. <laughs> and then um, split the games in Golden State, win game five, lose game six, and win game seven. And my last kind of overall prediction for the series is that I don't know if you uh, if you remember, but in the last the series that the Warriors played against the Rockets, a lot of the games the Warriors won were blowouts, like 30-point wins, and their, their point differential in the series was much larger than what you would expect for a series that went seven games. So I'm actually expecting that the Warriors will have a better point differential or net rating differential than the Raptors do in this series, but the Raptors will win four out of, out of seven games. Interesting stuff. So I, uh, I'm going to make my prediction here, but I'm going to have a couple of caveats because, again, I think a lot of this depends on Durant's availability. And, uh, you know, the idea that, that you stated that maybe Durant won't return, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and agree with you that if Durant does not play at all in this series, the Raptors win in seven. I agree with you there. But considering I think Durant might come back, uh, if he does and say he does come back in game three or four, I'm picking the Warriors in six, so my uh, my sort of in-between ground there of those two possibilities has me picking Golden State in seven is my final prediction. But again, I, I do uh, agree with you that if Durant does not return, I like the Raptors in this matchup. Interesting. You know, you know what I think would be a fun scenario from just like a pure hot take perspective would be is if the Raptors are down 2-1 and Durant comes back for Game 4, and the Raptors come back and win the series from that point. Because then it'll look like the Warriors lost the series because Durant came back, and that's going to be a mess in the offseason for people to talk about. Well, right, and there's already, you know, the Internet is already ablaze with talk that, uh, you know, Durant is overrated. He's getting a lot of flack because the Warriors have done so well without him, and, and that would be uh, absolutely... Uh, that would be absolutely crazy if that to, if that took place. Uh, but then the other the other thing that that is an interesting thing to to consider is the the fact that the finals are very spread out, uh, which I also think lends to guys like OG and Durant getting back at some point because there's typically two days between each game. So you know, game three is essentially almost a week after game one. Uh, but, uh, you know, how do you think that uh, that extra rest, or which team do you think that extra rest will benefit most? I, I actually think that favors the Raptors more, because I think Kawhi Leonard is kind of shouldering more of a load offensively and defensively, so having that extra day to recover between games is going to be huge for him. In the Sixers series, actually, there was a point where you could see that he got tired, and that was where he had one of his few bad games in these playoffs so the fact that he's going to have that much rest between every game is going to be massive considering the kind of contribution he needs to make for them to win the series on the offensive and defensive end so I think that favors the Raptors other than the fact that it means that Durant might come back earlier than expected yeah I I agree with you there I think the you mentioned the two-way load that Kawhi has to deal with. I think that's really that's really going to help, and I think it helped in that Philly series in Game Seven. There was two days off, and he he obviously had that uh, that monster performance, including that that game winner that bounced about eighteen times off the rim. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I do think though, as you mentioned, that that it'll benefit Golden State in some ways. I think the fact that it'll it'll give Durant more time to recover, but then also I think you know they they've got some guys that have that have been in uh, some long playoff runs, especially Iguodala, I think the uh, the extra extra rest will help him significantly. Yeah, it's true. That's a good point for Iguodala as well, especially considering he's been complaining about a lack of rest. Well, uh, did you have any uh, any final thoughts about this series or, uh, or the playoffs as a whole before we go? Uh, I guess one thing I would bring up, it's not so much about the series, but I actually... Now, a lot of people have talked about this, but I actually don't think that the outcome of this series will have too much impact on whether uh, Kawhi Leonard stays or leaves the Raptors. And ditto for Kevin Durant, actually. I think both of them at this point, um, not necessarily that their mind's been made up on what team they're going to go to, but I think uh, getting to this point, whether they win or lose, isn't going to have too much impact on the 
decision that they make afterwards, I think. Right, like uh, the city of Toronto, the organization that is the Toronto Raptors, have literally done all that they could do. They've shown Kawhi that they're a title contender. You make it to the finals, you're a title contender. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, they, they've got some young talent, and uh, they've got guys signed up uh, for for the long term. So, yeah, I uh, I think this has been a really compelling case for Kawhi to potentially stay, and it'll be it'll be really fascinating. And uh, I, I think another interesting idea would be, you know, if Kawhi is able to bring a championship to Toronto, I think that would be really fascinating if he if he left after that. Uh, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Complaints about that. Bring a championship and you can go. Yep, and and I for him and every, whatever team he's playing for after that. And that Kawhi and Dine initiative that a bunch of local uh, Toronto restaurants are, are are setting up that that gives Kawhi free meals for life i think that would still take hold if uh, if he wins the title and bolts but uh ibuka this was uh, this was a lot of fun thank you so much for coming on and taking the time thank you for having me on again and yeah it was awesome thanks so much for listening to duncan dynasty uh, if you'd like to support the show you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on itunes you can leave a, a rating and review. That would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there, uh, that uh, that really helps a lot. If uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or, uh, or ideas for, uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me uh, on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g-bouguet at onu.edu, so uh, feel free to, uh, to uh, give me any of your uh, ideas. I, I love to hear from, uh, from the people listening to the program, and uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar, and uh, have a great rest of your day.